Focus Baseball Podcast. Here are your hosts, Tristan Cockroft and Eric Carabell. Ah, half correct, half not. That's right, I am Tristan. It is Thursday, June 27th. This is the Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast, but since I'm Tristan, well, there's no Eric today. Eric, uh, Eric Carabell is on vacation for the week. And in his stead, we have my good buddy, my colleague, my friend, my old pal on the podcast from Monday. AJ Mass joins us again. Hello, AJ. Hello. It's amazing. Eric goes on vacation and the Phillies wake up. It's it's frustrating because <laughs> the Mets are playing them, but what are you going to do? It's the watch pot never boils thing. I mean, I guess when he's not watching, you know, who are we kidding? He's watching the Phillies. I guarantee you he's watching these games. Yeah. So, you know, when he's on the road, he, he needs to just be on the road. He should just get on the phone and call in. See, AJ's doing it, Eric. You know, huh? Huh? No call? No call? He's like a Coors pitcher. You just put him on the road, he's fine. In the home games, he struggles. Oh, so he's Jon Snow. I mean, there John it is. Day. It all comes full circle. Love it. And that's Kyle Soppy's voice. Of course, Kyle is the mastermind behind the glass. You are behind the glass, technically, right? I know you're everywhere in the studio. Well, yeah, but I mean, you guys are on the other side of the glass, so I guess it depends what you're talking about. But yeah, in some sense, I'm behind the glass. <laughs> I'm behind the glass rebooting my internet. That's what a little beeping you heard at the beginning of the show. Goodness, gotta love when your internet doesn't work. But it's back, thankfully. We have a lot to cover today. Plenty of baseball news, some good news, some bad news. Uh, it's like a regular show or something. So why don't we get into it with the buzz? <laughs> AJ, you know I like to start with the good news, so let's talk about some injury recoveries, and we're going to go to the uh, state of Texas where two players have returned, and I'm going to begin with one who I'm a big fan of, Mr. Joey Gallo of the Texas Rangers, back in the lineup returns from the DL. This was one that caught a few people by surprise, but if you if you had been following his uh, rehab assignment notes, you would have known that Gallo was expected to come back for the full week has now played two games, batting fifth in the lineup for the Rangers, which, AJ, I'll ask you uh, one part of this. is It's kind of curious to see Joey Gallo batting fifth behind Nomar Mazzara, who we've talked uh, ad nauseum on the show about his underperformance and the fact that he's just spinning his wheels, not developing. But Gallo, a game in center, a game in left. He's one for six so far, a double, three walks, three Ks. Yeah, we've got one of our big power sources back. Your thoughts on Gallo's return? Uh, well, I'm excited. Uh, I have a lot of shares of Gallo in fantasy, so happy to see him back. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it, it when a batter returns from a lengthy layoff, uh, I don't worry so much about immediate impact. You know, let the timing come back. Even if you've done a rehab stint, there's going to be some issues when you get to the major league where you just you might need a day or two. So I'm not concerned about a, a slow start. It is interesting to have him uh, in the five spot, but maybe that will jumpstart Mazzara because, you know, people are certainly going to be a little bit more afraid of Mr. Gala. So you, would you place an investment in Mazzara then? Do you think there's something to that? I'm not a big believer in the line of protection aspect, but Gala's year has been pretty extraordinary. Could it pay some dividends? Well, you know, in the uh, three true outcomes era, I do think it, it it's a little bit more prevalent when you have a guy who – you, you, when you pitch around, you pitch around, and, 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 and when you pitch two, he serves it up. So I, I do think there is something to it when it's this particular type of player. Um, you know, uh, 
Lazar is still not top 100, but if you're in a deep enough league, I, I do think he could challenge for that going forward if there's any impact of this lineup swap. So, you know, uh, yeah, in a, in a league with a lot of teams where you're looking for a jump start, certainly worth a, worth a gamble. Mazzara was 123rd overall in my most recent rankings, outfielder 38th uh, in AJ's update this week. By the way, I will uh, work to get some uh, updated rankings in there for you later this afternoon. He was 158th and outfielder 60 in AJ's point-based rankings. Uh, Joey Gallo, however, was a little bit more generously ranked 57th in AJ's most recent outfielder 24 and first baseman 9 in that. The high point for me on Joey Gallo, and he's going to call and question my uh, my ranking of him, of course, was uh, roughly 50th in the uh, head-to-head categories. Uh, I'm not really bothered by the low batting average. I'm just not. So it's good to see him back. I'm glad to have him. I have a lot of shares too, AJ, as as you've said you had. Uh, it's good news, you know, and the Rangers do have a very good schedule coming up for next week, last week going into the All-Star break. Uh, let's stick in the same state, as I said, and go to George Springer and the Astros. The Astros are getting a lot healthier uh, of late. George Springer was activated on Tuesday. He homered on Wednesday, and in those two games, the Astros have gotten very close to what's their typical lineup. They're one player away from that, with Springer, Altuve, Bregman, Brantley, and uh, Jordan Alvarez batting one, two, three, four, five. Uh, Carlos Correa is the one who is still missing. Should be back sometime in July, perhaps by the end of the month, and he's been typically batting after Michael Brantley here. So, AJ, I want to ask you two parts about this one. George Springer's return, how this impacts the Astros' lineup. Uh, is it good for some, bad for others? And Correa's return, what kind of impact do you think that has? Is there any kind of reactive uh, uh, approach we should take as fantasy managers? Uh, not, not necessarily. I mean... You know, it's it's a nine-person lineup, and when you have eight solid bats, <laughs> it seems that everyone on that team just when they're in the lineup, they hit that many solid bats. Adding one more is not going to be that big a deal. So I, I, I don't think you can get much better than it is in terms of Springer himself. I mean, we're talking about a top twenty-five hitter here, so it's great to have him back. Those uh, people who are without him for a month are probably uh, delight delightfully singing uh, praises and hosannas and hooray, he's back. Uh, yeah, it's a boost to the team to get a player of that caliber back. But I don't necessarily think we could suddenly expect a two-run per game uh, increase. It's just I think they're going to continue to chug along at a, at a good clip. And, and increases typically aren't at that range of two runs per game. So it's a good point to make. Uh, I think a lot of times in fantasy we tend to react because of the excitement of the player returning. But it is good news for the Astros. And we knew they were a scary lineup beforehand. They could spring right back to that level. If anything to me, and I'm, I'm nitpicking here, when they go to National League Parks, they have a series coming up with that. They're going to have a DH problem where they have to figure out left field between Brantley and Alvarez. It's probably going to cost them at bats for Josh Reddick or Tyler White. But these aren't the stars you have. So... I think it's good overall. Hey, you know what? Even for number nine, Robinson Chirinos, maybe it just kind of boosts up the times they turn the lineup over, add a couple of runs or RBI, but nothing that I'd make a big rash move. Springer, your rankings, AJ. I know on uh, the Monday update, you had him 30th overall, outfielder 12. Would you change that at all, or was that kind of projecting his return? I was projecting his return. I think when, uh, you know, the biggest hit uh, a player gets is, the, you know, the, the first rankings after an injury, and then you, you figure out how long they're going to be out. You drop them maybe 50 spots, depending on the time. And then, especially in a case where you're like, it's an unknown timetable, you know, you adjust up and down based on that. And then every week that passes, they slowly move back up higher and higher because we're talking a rest of season. And the closer that they are to their return, the more they get back to where you think they're going to be. Uh, I think this is pretty much reflective of where he's going to be going forward. 
And doing the math of what's left in the season, the larger the sample remaining in a player's season compared to an absent at the, at the stage, you're going to see wider disparities. At least in my rankings, I know if you have a player who misses time due to injury, it has a greater impact today than it would have in April because there's less season left. That's just the math of the thing. So, uh, fair point there. Uh, Another, uh, and, and, well, this isn't really an injury recovery. I, I just love the story. I love the player. He's so good for baseball. Shohei Otani. We got to talk about him because he's been one of the best hitters of late. I, I know that, that there was kind of like a, a little down spot here in terms of the fantasy buzz when he went to St. Louis with the Angels and they just didn't have the DH, so he's been pinch hitting a little bit. But look at this. Past 21 games, he's slashing 377, 421, 739. He has six homers. He has 17 RBI. And this guy could steal bases, as we've talked about on recent shows. But... In another little bit of good news, he pitched off a mound on Wednesday for the first time since his original Tommy John surgery. So as a pitcher, the good news is beginning to come. That is a very major step in the Tommy John surgery recovery process. And we've talked about 2020 when he comes back fully as a pitcher. So, AJ, we've got to talk about Otani's present and his future. Your thoughts on each? Well, in terms of the present, the present is the heading. Do not expect him to pitch this season. That is not going to happen. Uh, you know, the progress back, the throwing off a mound, the, you know, anything that happens in that regard, it's great news every time he does it and there's no setback. Uh, but in terms of fantasy value for this year, it just it, it's the hitting and the hitting alone, and it's been pretty good of late, absolutely. Now, for the future, of course, the thing that makes Otani such an interesting unicorn is that double usage. And if he can start right out of the gate, you know, if he pr- proceeds to the point where you, you just say, hey, here he is, you're going to get even 20 starts out of him next year. I mean, he, the sky's the limit in terms of his fantasy value. Without a doubt. I, I think the way things are trending and the, the success he's enjoyed with the bat this season really leads to a lot of good things. He was an exceptional pitcher before he got injured last season. So as you said, AJ, if you're setting the bar 20 starts, I'll buy in. I'm not expecting more than that. I don't think it's fair to project more than that. But we already know the bat can play. On the days that he's not pitching, you throw him in there in our daily leagues, daily transactions as your DH. And I think you're going to be happy with what you get. Uh, look, there's there's definitely injury risk involved, but this is a, a pretty positive story. We might be talking as positively about Shohei Otani next preseason as there was the excitement when he first came over to, to the U.S. last year at the beginning of this year, except we're going to be drafting him a lot higher. Where would you rank him? I, I want Give me a number. If you had to throw a ranking for 2020 right now, what would it be? Well, and here's the interesting thing. It's like well, part of – there was still that little uh, – trepidation like you know because he was coming over and they're like ah, oh, there's something that might be going on that where he you know there could be some damage that could be done there well now we know that he's fully healed and and yes there's always the the, the risk of the uh, repeat of the uh, the injury when you when you have this kind of situation uh but i think this is about as strong a, a injury-free risk as you can have is like when they've been cleared to come back that's the moment where you're, where the value is the highest I mean, I think we're definitely looking at guaranteed second round uh, as a low. And and he could easily be at tail end of the first round. Wow. That that would be a bold ranking. I could see it happen. For points points leagues, if you can use them in both, I I definitely think that's that's where you got to look at him. And I think he is grading noticeably better as a points-based performer just as a hitter this year than he is in the Roto Leagues. Uh, the, the, the on-base percentage there alone is driving a good portion of that. So I was going to say top 50 is where I'd begin, and I'm thinking it has a three at the beginning for me. But, you know, that that's a pretty bold rank today. We'll see how this plays out. 
we got to get to some of the bad news. So another one of the more exciting left-handed hitters in the game is Eddie Rosario. And unfortunately, he dealt with a left ankle sprain he just suffered the other day. And it does look like he's going to head to the injured list. And AJ, one of the things I want to tease here is just that when teams have the injuries with the All-Star break uh, this close at this point, it uh, arrives a week from Sunday, so 10 days from now. With the 10-day IL and the roster machinations that we see involved around this time of year, you could see teams take the conservative approach and just shelve the player. We're seeing demotions like Framber Valdez of the Astros. They don't need these players roster-wise, so they're going to keep them off the roster. I think that's what's going to happen with Rosario. There's talk that Lamonte Wade is going to get called up for him, but the Twins have been great, and he's been a lot of the reason why. Any concerns here for him or the team? Um, for the team, no. I mean, like, like you said... Uh, Teams uh, are going to play it a little more cautiously around the break because they have that flexibility. Uh, and so, you know, if, if someone breaks a bone, that's something where you go, okay, uh, we got to deal with it. If it's, oh, you know, I'm sore, I've been, you know, it's a sprain, take this as, as the perfect time to have an injury like this. I mean, obviously you never want to get injured, but this is the perfect time to have an injury like this. You know, you, you, you take your 10 days and that 10 days is actually technically, you know, 17 because of, of, of rest for the, for the all-star break. Then, you know, it's, it's only a benefit to the team and player uh, in terms of returning. Not, you know, you don't, you don't, you can't, you're not counting those days down to, Oh, okay. It's been 10 days. He's, he's got to come back, but should we wait one or two more days? Like, we know we can just relax. And when he's ready, he hits the ground running. And, and I know I typically think of it in terms of the rotations. The teams use this time in order to, to send younger players down who still have options to the minors. We don't really think of it in terms of the injuries. When the Rosario thing came up, that's the first thing that I thought of is, yeah, you know, that's another case in which teams do take the conservative approach. We talk about this in September. We should talk about it now. If players have injuries, and I think for fantasy, we should take this approach of the conservative angle. And that means that in your leagues next week, if you only play next week as the seven-day period. And ESPN, I know that that does extend to the three days or the three, you know, the four days and three for most teams afterwards. If you play a seven-day next period, I'd probably take a conservative approach with any injured player. I would. Uh, another injured. Oh, good. No, I was just saying, I was agreeing with you absolutely, and especially you know if you if you watch the the video of this injury, it, it, I mean I'm not going to you know play doctor or even play Stefania, uh, but you know just visually it didn't look that horrible. Uh, you know that we've seen far worse, and the fact that he was able to just walk down the uh, the tunnel on his, under his own power certainly makes me think that there's not a heck of a lot to see here. Uh, another injury, and this is a frustrating one. So AJ, I want kind of your your reaction just to the players, Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees, who. We, we had mentioned, and it's like the minute we mentioned this, it's almost a curse. We've mentioned in the preseason that he had been remarkably healthy over the previous two years heading into 2019. So 2017, 2018, he had actually been remarkably healthy. And we see this happen from time to time with players with injury reputations earlier in their career. Suddenly they deal with some good health, Evan Longoria and Kinsler. And then later on in their career, they struggle with it again. Stanton. He's on the DL again, or excuse me, the IL again with a knee sprain. Uh, my understanding is he injured this while sliding into third base the other day. It was a little unclear what happened with the injury initially, but the Yankees felt it was severe enough that with their overseas travel, the upcoming All-Star break, and the short schedule the week after, that they wanted to take the conservative approach. Makes sense. But Stanton, is this casting an injury-prone label on him again? Well, you know, there's always that thing with when you have someone uh, re-injuring, uh, you know, that thing that already has been injured and caused them this time, and you wonder, 
is this going to be something that's going to harangue them the rest of the season? Are we going to have a repeat of this again and again and again? You know, like Rich Hill blister syndrome. Um, this, at least, you know, a lot of times when you get a batter who's swinging uh, and tweaks a muscle, like that's something that they're going to have to do repeatedly. Uh, I, I'm far more worried about that kind of situation than this, where you could actually see the impact of, of this slide and, and where you understand why there was an injury there. You know, you, you saw it. Uh, it wasn't something that was just like, oh, it's going to be a repetitive thing. Yeah, people have to learn not to slide at first anymore. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the cause of far too many injuries, I think, when you don't have to. But uh, I think this, at least there's an understandable reason for this injury and the reason to play caution. Uh, much like, you know, we get this a lot in football. When uh, you have people get injured and they have a long flight that they have to take, uh, you, you wonder, like, oh, maybe it's best if uh, they don't have to take this flight uh, and, and maybe won't play this weekend because it's a long flight. I think this is a situation where there's going to be a long flight here, a lot longer than, than oh, I guess maybe it's not longer than if you're going to the West Coast for a West Coast swing. But still, it, it, it's a flight. Uh, and so uh, I, I would understand why they're going to put on the IL and now's a good time for it, not even risk sending them out there. But if he comes back from this one, I, I'm, I'm not like going to go, oh, gosh, he's injury-prone, he's going to get injured again. Uh, not based on this one. I'm not necessarily either, but I'm tempted to. They, the only thing that really bugs me about this is that with the arrival of Edwin Encarnacion in New York, that Stanton is going to play the field a lot. And he's going to be playing a position that he didn't an awful lot early in his career in left field. And that just means yeah, more opportunity. He's to... still going to run the bases. This was a base yeah. running thing. Yeah. It, it, so, it, like I said, it, it, I, there's a reason for it. It wasn't like he was running and, uh, you know, racing the track down a fly ball and, and then pulled up lane. That, that would concern me a lot more. It, it, I mean, I'm thinking in terms of if he's out there in the field instead of being the DH, it's more opportunity that if somebody does hit it out there, he has another chance where he's moving around where something could happen. It's not a, a substantial amount. It's just that one thing I thought of when he went to the Yankees is that he's going to have that luxury of the DH spot, and he just doesn't have it at this point. He's not going to play it more often than not. He's going to be in the outfield a lot when he's healthy. So that 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 does kind of you know raise the eyebrow for me <laughs> bring back my sure, old raise the sure, eyebrow but I, like I said, you know uh, and, and he is someone who you know has this label of being injury prone but I mean how can I blame him for getting hit in the face you know, like that that's yeah. not his fault so um, you know I'm much more concerned with a guy like Aaron Judge who again if he gets injured when he swings really hard and well that's what he does so I, you know I'm probably more concerned about Judge even though Stanton's the one who's injured Stanton swings pretty hard too though I think they're pretty yeah, comfortable. Yeah, and he see, that's not where he gets injured, though. Like, not, yeah. not really. Yeah. yeah. He has, you know what, as a matter of fact, I think I've, I've, checking for my research, I think he has gotten injured an unusually large amount running the bases. So we just need a designated pinch runner for him. That's all. There you go. <laughs> That'll simple fix. Yeah, yeah. Simple as that. Uh, all right, Kyle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you, keep, keep you busy here. Let's, let's talk about the closers. There's some big news there. The, the Closer Carousel. carousel. So the big news is Jordan Hicks, and this happened a little bit after the show on um, Monday. Later in the afternoon, we discovered that, uh, well, the Cardinals had made the announcement that he does have a torn UCL, uh, and he did uh, undergo Tommy John's surgery. That did, I believe, happen on Wednesday. So he will miss, presumably, a calendar year, and I would have to imagine that he's not going to be a major factor even in 2020 at all. 
Uh, but we got, I, I guess I would call this clarity, AJ, on the closer situation, because the GM had talked up John Gant as the possible fill-in, and then suddenly Martinez was announced vaguely by the team as their closer fill-in for Jordan Hicks. And there had been talk lately that he was going to be kept in the bullpen anyway. So do you believe them on Martinez, and are you in on Martinez? Where would you place him among closers? Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a very uh, meaty question. Uh, well, I'm in. Uh, certainly not, uh, you know, using FBA to kind of read the minds there. I thought that's where they would end up going anyway, as we discussed on Monday. Um, before the injury, I had Martinez at number 23. So uh, now he's, you know, only going to go up there. But, you know, that that's within the realm of closer territory. You know, 30 closers, uh, he's always already in the top 30 when he wasn't guaranteed to get saved. So I'm definitely high on Martinez. I'd probably move him up into my top 15 right now and then see how it goes, just because Gant is looming. Uh, and could get some time there. Actually, I honestly think that you can thank the Mets for this decision because with the whole Brody situation and the GM telling the manager which pitchers to pitch and when and that making the news, I think perhaps the Cardinals said, hey, no, 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 no. We're not a general manager telling them how to run the team. You know, you do what you want. And I think that's possibly at least a factor into why we are going to be seeing Mr. Martinez as the closer here. Hmm. That's an interesting point. I, I, I kind of, I was bothered. So it's, it, you know, it's a fair point because it did bother me a little bit that they did, they didn't seem to see eye to eye on which direction they were going to go. I will say that I, I personally prefer them putting Martinez in there and allowing Gant to pitch at any point key in the game between the sixth and ninth innings. So as long as this is going to be that, that sort of fluid closer situation where if you need Gant in the ninth, even if it is a traditional closer situation, I'm fine with it because Gant's been their best pitcher up to this point. And I don't want to see him locked down to just one inning, ninth inning stints. I think that would kind of lower his value from a real baseball perspective it's frustrating to us in fantasy by the way another guy with starter and reliever eligibility so uh you might be able to exploit that as a matter of fact martinez does as well so you know yeah you got well, I, know, I, think, I think this is the case seriously tristan where the this you're seeing the real life impact of fantasy on the game i think because fantasy has really turned into this uh, influence of, okay, we need closers and we need defined roles. And I think managers and organizations do feel a bit of pressure from the fan base. Uh, and I do think it impacts how these pitchers are used uh, a lot. Uh, there are very few managers out there who are willing to buck the trends. And uh, I, I kind of wish more managers would. But in terms of fantasy, for the most part, we do get managers who say, this is my closer, don't worry about it, I'll let you know when I change my mind. It, it helps us in terms of the least clarity. We, we do. I think that we're, we're seeing more managers move in this direction, however. I agree with you that I do think a lot of these these guys are still locked into the mindset of the one-inning closer. I mean, <laughs> you mentioned the Mets. The Mets themselves announced in the preseason Edwin Diaz was a one-inning closer, period. Nothing more than that. So we're still we're still living back in 1985 closer strategies, but well maybe that's more like 1995. But well, no, that was bring Lee Smith in in the set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back then they would have done that. Yeah. 95, 95 to to 2005. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, let's go to the Braves bullpen. Uh, Luke Jackson gets his 12th save on, on uh, excuse me, on Tuesday. Uh, but then during the off day, who do they go to? They don't go to Anthony Sporzak, who's been one of their better uh, relievers over the past month plus. They go to A.J. Minter, the guy who was supposed to be their closer at the beginning of the year, threw an inning and a third, two strikeouts, didn't give up any uh, base runners, and he converted the save in this game. So where do you stand on the Braves bullpen? Um, I stand as far away as possible. I, 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 I'm not a huge fan of their bullpen. 
you know, Minter was someone that I was buying in on, and it's not just because of AJ, although certainly uh, I'm not going to poo-poo my fellow AJs there. But, uh, yeah, I thought he was going to be the guy, and he, and he wasn't the guy. And so I like the fact that he's gotten back to the point where they can at least put him in that situation again. Um but again, it's baby steps. It's baby steps. I still think it's Jackson, and it'll continue to be Jackson until such time as uh, he uh, has a few clunkers in the way. I've I've been painted as an anti-Jackson guy on the show, and I'm really not. I I think he's all right there, but I kind of agree with you, AJ. I, I I just don't feel fully comfortable about the baseball pen. I just don't. No, I, and Jackson. I mean, Jackson. Certainly, I have him the highest in my rankings amongst the Braves relievers, but, you know, I still have them at number 30 because I don't fully tie in to their entire situation there, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, uh, you think it's going to be Swarzak and it ends up being Minter. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a Swarzak guy, are you? Um, uh, I don't hate him. I mean, uh, he certainly didn't do for the Mets back when he pitched for, for the Mets what I thought he was going to do, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not anti-Swarzak. I just don't necessarily think he's going to be a guy who inspires confidence from his manager, and I think that's what you're looking for here. Yeah. he's he's For me, he's so very Fernando Rodney, except with a little bit more of an injury rep. He, he's got some great hot streaks, and the rest is, well... Just just my impression of him was that he's the type of guy who gets the job done when it really doesn't matter and doesn't get the job done when it does. And I, I'm not trying to uh, denigrate his skill set. It just That was the perception I got when he was with the Mets. And uh, so it's hard to uh, shake that perception. And that's what we're dealing with when it comes to managers and, and who gets what role. It, it doesn't matter what the reality is. It's all perception. So... <laughs> Kyle, who does a tremendous job with the the note for the show, he comes up with a lot of great stats for this. In addition to pressing all the buttons on this, has been it's like you're you've been begging me for weeks now to talk about this one particular pitcher, especially after Eric and I totally trashed the Seattle Mariners bullpen. But you keep putting he's Ruinus been Ili- tough. He's been tough. I know you have a Ruinus Elias. Ruinus Elias. You keep putting him on here, and thankfully today you learned to bribe me with a big plate of this delicious chicken parm. See. I so learn. People say I don't learn things. Nicely done. I so got you. As I chow down and really enjoy this right now, I'll point out that Elias just got his fifth save of the month. He's five for five. And as Kyle points out, last seven appearances, eight innings, no one runs, no hits, two walks, nine Ks. AJ, are you in? Uh, I am in to the extent that this is a nice hot streak. And so uh, I'm not in in the, in the sense that it's still Seattle. Um, I don't necessarily think that there's going to be a ton of opportunities compared to some of the other uh, relievers out there. And is there a chance that he does this for like another two, three weeks and they send him packing? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I guess I wouldn't either. Anybody's really fair game there. To, to this extent, I agree with you, AJ, that I think it is a great juice of the orange opportunity, but I'm not any further than that. And I will tell you that it's not a good idea to have orange juice with your chicken parm. They don't go. Fact. Don't go. Yeah. No. <laughs> good. I've got backup on that one. I got uh, you covered, yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, and the final note here, the Cubs are expected to activate Craig Kimbrell today, Thursday, so he will take over as the Cubs closer. And if you want to watch him, you know, there's an opportunity to do that because do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. 
So what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the events you want? Hello, status quo. The real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way. Search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets, so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest? A quick look at the app. Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? It's a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web. Then, it rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. Finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map. SeatGeek breaks down the details. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. And... Every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone and it's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. In fact, I just used the app to buy tickets myself and I will perhaps see Rowanus Elias, uh, Elias, if I pronounce his name correctly, pitch in person. Uh, I had a great experience with it in the process. SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code FFB for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code FFB for $10 off on your first purchase. Okay, AJ, so before we get to the weekend schedule, I'd like to ask your thoughts on two pitchers had some struggling outings of late. We'll start with Blake Snell, who had just a a not-so-good outing just the other day against the Twins, and granted, tough, tough matchup, of course, but he gave up seven runs and three and a third innings, 11 hits, and just didn't look good at all. I saw him pitch against the Yankees a couple weeks ago where he didn't make it out of the first, didn't look so good in that. He has a 5-0-1 ERA this season after capturing the Cy Young. Any concerns? Uh, yeah, I, I have concern. I mean, I was probably one of the lowest people on Blake Snell with the preseason rankings, and people were like, "But he, but he won the Fly Young. Oh, you can't blow." You know, year over year, wins drive award, and uh, you know, I, I thought there would be some regression in wins. Certainly, uh, you know, if you look at a pitcher year over year when there's this much of a, a difference in performance, if you can see something that really jumps out as different, then that might be the problem. And he's throwing the curveball way more than he did last year. Uh, 51% fastball last year, 20% curveball. This year it's 42 and 28. That's different. And that might be just the issue here is that he's just not approaching hitters the same way. And, until he goes back to uh, an approach that was more successful, I'm a bit concerned. And in fact, to your point about the curveball, I've noticed that the pitch-per-pitch performance of it has not been as effective. And yeah, that could be some more exposure. But I wonder, I should take a look at uh, how the, the spin on that pitch is performing so far. I will say in his defense that his underlying numbers suggest he's been extremely unlucky. I think a lot of people have thrown this out about the BABIP last year. Had a 241, and it's regressed severely the other way to 357 this season. His FIP is up uh, just over a half point. That's not bad. Went from 295 to 348. His XFIP is 319 after being 316 last year. So there's been some bad luck involved in him. But Yeah, there's been some bad luck, but he's also, you know, he's throwing fewer ground balls. The the fly balls are going over the fence at a much higher rate, and some of that's the baseball. We understand that, but uh, it's still a 7% rise in that. Uh, I just think, given that 
the pitch uh, distribution is that different, I think there's something to be learned from that. And I think, uh, you know, it, it might be bad luck, but it might be approach. And that would concern me always more than the luck. And I agree that if the approach has changed, I'll have to take a look at that and see if there's anything to the curve. So fair point. Uh, that was the Tuesday game. And then on Wednesday, as both the Yankees and the Red Sox were very quick to try and get to their flights to London, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, the Red Sox had a day game against the White Sox at home at Fenway Park in which Chris Sale had a pretty rocky first inning of this game. Now, he finished with not a complete train wreck of a, a pitching line, six innings, six hits, five earned runs. But it wasn't one of the best outings for Sale himself, and that lends the question to his season as a whole. 382 ERA to the stage, and he was treated by most as a top three starting pitcher. Any concerns? Um, not not any more than I had uh, early on. I mean, you know, when you start the season with all those losses and everyone's like, well, what's wrong with them? I said, well, you know, give him time, give him time. It, it, it's a little bit of an outlier thing. Um, certainly he's done much better than the 0-5 start of late. The the ERA's been pretty good since uh, April went away. I, I chalk it up to just, uh, again, you know, you, you're throwing on a day game in the middle of the week. I, I think sometimes that can just hit a pitcher wrong. And it, it didn't look to me like he was pitching that badly. It just, I think everything just went wrong. Uh, so I'm willing to just declare a mulligan. Uh, you know, how many mulligans does he have left? Probably not a lot. He used <laughs> a lot of them up in April. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, and, and he did rebound. The mulligan was warranted at that point. Uh, the velocity is down a little bit. It still is. It's not severely down. It is down a little bit. Still has a decent quality to it. Uh, underlying well, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's an honest question for you, Tristan. I don't know about this. Because the ball is so uh, jumpy off the bat, could a slight decline in velocity actually help a pitcher because he's not providing as much exit velocity with what he's throwing. I, I just put that out there as uh, hmm. something to consider. That's a fair point. That is a fa- I'll have, yeah, yeah, you know. Jamie Moyer's coming back. <laughs> Wait, oh. he left. Oh, I was such a Jamie Moyer fan. That guy was great for my fantasy teams for years. By the way, to your point uh, here, well, not actually, maybe it's not totally to your point, but the the thing that always strikes me about the lefties in Fenway Park is uh, giving up homers with the, the shorter fence in left field. Yeah, it's higher, but it's shorter. So home runs, I, I tend to worry about being a problem. Righties have all 13 of the homers against Sale this year. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I, I watched that first inning, and I was just like, ugh. He just—it's just one of those days. It just—it just—I it, didn't watch that game and go, "Wow, Sales pitching poorly." It was just like, "Oh, one of those days." And since that was my gut instinct, I, I think I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, so because sometimes you watch a pitcher and you just go, "Oh, he doesn't have it." He does, he still struck out ten, so you know, <laughs> it's not like he didn't have it. Yeah, I don't, no, I, I, I don't blame you. I mean, I, I felt like he just looked off in that one inning, and, and he recovered a little bit later on, so I'm not I'm not panicking either. He's still easily... Well, it helps when you know your offense is probably going to come right back around and score 53 runs on the that run. Hasn't so. happened this, that hasn't helped him this year. That's the thing. Is And and, and I, I hesitate to call him this year's Jason, Jacob deGrom because deGrom was amazing last season, and Sale is not going to match that performance. But the Cole Hamels years with the Phillies, where they didn't support him, I mean, he, he is this year's jinx in the win column. Chris Hill. Oh, I, I, I agree, but the last three games have at least been seven runs. So, you know, he's been getting some support of late, and it's kind of been commensurate with the uh, drop in the ERA. So, uh, you know, I, I think there is something to be said for not having to be uh, that perfect that Cole Hamels was going through that season where he knew if I, gave up, if I give up a run in the first, I'm probably not getting it back. Yeah. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Chris Sale is what? He's three and seven, I think, and Eduardo Rodriguez is eight and four on the same team. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> I don't explain the the, the whole win-loss record. Let's get to the weekend schedule. It's a very busy weekend here. Uh, We'll start with the Thursday games, which, of course, began with the day games that were at 105. So uh, presumably you're listening to this uh, leading into the night games. The ESPN Plus game for Thursday is the Washington Nationals at the Miami Marlins. And this is a Steven Strasburg at Sandy Alcantara outing. Both kind of interesting pitchers in this matchup, Strasburg, obviously. But Alcantara is kind of underrated in fantasy. Oh, he is. I mean, certainly I would think that, especially given the fact that uh, the Dodgers are in Colorado, which makes Walker Bueller a little less appealing than usual. I think Strasburg is probably the best option on the day here, especially with such a short schedule. Um, you know, I, I'm still playing matchup game with Alcantara. I, I, I don't really have a lot of optimism there. Um, but in general, I do I do like uh, a mix and match with, with Marlins pitchers. I think uh they don't necessarily have that standout guy, but like all the guys on any given day could definitely uh, help your team win. Uh, the Marlins, to me, have been pretty underrated. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying it while I can, and we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think they're going to be dealing with innings caps at some point down the road. Uh, Friday's games begin with a 7-0-5-er between the Indians and the Orioles, and this game is interesting to me just because it's two pitchers returning from the injured list who might be fantasy-relevant in one way or the other. Mike Clevenger for the Indians, and John Means for the Orioles. Means has been one of the best under-the-radar rookies of the year, and Clevenger's a guy that I just love. Your thoughts on either one? Would you start either? How do you feel about them long-term? I'm probably not starting them this game. Uh, And, I mean, if I were going to pick one to start, I'd pick Clevenger. However, it's interesting, I mean... Uh, I was really high on Means before the injury, and I I currently have him rated just a little bit higher than Clevenger, even for the rest of the season. Um, I like him. I, I, I like him a lot. Uh, I'm just not starting him to, you know, this week. Uh, I'm I'm still not a Means guy. <laughs> I'm starting Clevenger in this game if I have to. I see your point about taking the conservative approach. I mean, he did have the setback most recently, right after he came back from the injured list, but. I still like Clevenger for the second half. If you can invest at any reasonable price, I'm certainly going to do that over the long haul. Uh, the Mets and the Braves are at 7-10, and I'll only note here Jacob deGrom, obviously, is the Mets pitcher. You're going to start him. Mike Soroka on the other side is uh, questionable for this outing because of the forearm injury he suffered. He was hit uh, by a line drive in his most recent start, so he is questionable for this game. So if you're planning, just keep an eye on the news involved in that. The ESPN Plus game is at 8 o'clock, and it is the Pittsburgh Pirates at the Milwaukee Brewers. It's Chris Archer at Yolis Chassin. Archer, he's overrated, AJ. Uh, he is overrated. Uh, you know, I, both of his pitchers are on my Tetworth team, and so gives you an idea of how my Tetworth team is doing here. Uh, of course, Bueller is too, which is why, why he's been carrying my staff. Uh, Archer should should be doing so much better, and yet he never seems to be doing so much better. It is frustrating as all get out. Uh, you know, you start him if you if you have to, but if you don't have to, you don't start him. You just can't trust him. It's it's so frustrating. Hyun Jin Ryu pitches for the Dodgers at Coors Field. AJ, you mentioned with Walker Bueller getting the Thursday assignment. This is having the Dodgers throw a lot of their aces during the weekend series at Coors Field. Uh, Clayton Kershaw will be starting the Saturday game that is at uh, Coors Field there. And then in the Sunday game, it's Kenta Maeda, who's probably the least of the fantasy options, but still a very good pitcher. How do you feel about any of these four for that series? Any concerns? You starting them? What's your approach? 
I, you know, like I said, they're they're so good. The, the, certainly, uh, Ryu, Cy Young worthy candidate, uh, Kershaw's Kersh- Kershaw. You know, I, I start them. They're, they're they're top fifteen pitchers, all three of them, and I start them. Uh, I, I know it scores, but uh, the Rockies don't necessarily uh, always score double digits. They don't always play the Padres there. So uh, I'm definitely going to keep them in my lineup. You know, for daily, I might consider somebody else in terms of saving some money and going elsewhere. But in, in the roto format, in points leagues, yeah, you, you stick with them. I'd agree. I think they're just too talented, and you go with the talent even with the matchup at the ballpark looking a little bit tricky. Saturday, that begins the two-game series between the Yankees and the Red Sox that is played in London. Uh, and for those who are unfamiliar with what the, the specs are going to be here as the Yankees and the Red Sox play overseas, they will get an additional player on their roster. They're carrying a couple of taxi players, so that will come into play a little bit. Uh, the first game Saturday, which will be 1.10 Eastern Time, 1.10 p.m will be on Fox. That is Masahiro Tanaka and Rick Porcello. The Sunday game is the one on ESPN that has a 10 a.m. starting time. That is correct. It is at 10 a.m. on Sunday, so make sure to tune in early. We get our breakfast, our tea and crumpets and baseball as the Yankees and the Red Sox take each other on. The Yankees will be using the opener, which presumably means Chad Green will lead to Nestor Cortez in this game as the Red Sox throw Eduardo Rodriguez. And AJ, I bring up this series not not just because of the fact it's interesting, it's an overseas series, but how do you feel about the fatigue factor in these particular games? And the other is the ballpark. The ballpark has been described as a bit hitting-friendly because of the dimensions, very shallow center field. Any kind of advantages to gain? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think just in general, pitchers are far more impacted by changes in routine. And so, yes, uh, a one ten game on Saturday doesn't sound like it's uh, it's that far out of the norm, but it's not 110 there. <laughs> and so it's, it's definitely, you know, uh, it, the schedule is going to be thrown off. The just your, your body clock is going to be thrown off. I, I, I just don't necessarily trust any of the pitchers. I'm certainly not putting Porcello anywhere near my fantasy lineup this weekend. Uh, <laughs> You've made a friend. Hitters, yeah, hitters, on the other hand, I, I think they're going to have an advantage in this series. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't know much about the park, regardless of what they say. We, you never know how a park's going to play until until then. I just, I think it's very sad that they're only going to get two games and you're, you're, you're subjecting them to that uh, Chad Green and Mr. Cortez, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, David Hale, it, probably, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, it, 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 it's almost like when, you know, they we go to Wembley with the NFL in the preseason. Uh, it's like, it, lineups go in there. It's like, I don't know. T, Crumpets, Nestor Cortez, David Hale, and then what, Bangers and Mash afterwards? <laughs> They're just going to throw everything uh, well, you out. Know, you know what, though? We should, we, is Bud Collins going to be there? Because that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun to watch, but I... I yeah, I'm kind of frightened of any of the pitchers in this game. Tanaka throws the pitch. Ooh! <laughs> I'm, you know, I'll use Tanaka if I have to. I, I'm not going to feel great about it. I'd use Rodriguez second. I don't feel great about that one either, but... <sighs> Rick Porcello. <laughs> Love how you have that drop uh, handy, uh, uh, Kyle. Uh, oh, boy. All right, so Saturday's game's a pretty busy day there, just a full slate going on. On Sunday, the other games we have going on, ESPN's going to have several games. In addition to that one in the morning, we have the ESPN Plus game that's at 2 p.m. That is the Minnesota Twins at the Chicago White Sox. Kyle Gibson and Lucas Giolito. He's awesome. Everything is awesome. Yes, there'll be, there'll be no darkness there for Lucas. Exactly. <laughs> 
That's my point. Yes, of course. Deal it all. All right. Uh, the night game on ESPN, we will, yes, indeed, have Sunday night baseball. This one will be the Atlanta Braves at the New York Mets. That's right. The New York baseball teams have taken ESPN over on Sunday, and Max Fried will face Noah Syndergaard in his return from the IL. You're starting him? Uh, me personally, no. Uh, just because uh, I, I, that's just not something I do, and I don't. I don't ever trust the Mets and their their physical health. I, I just I <laughs> totally gun shy there. And quite frankly, even if he takes you know pitches six innings and gives up only two runs, uh, I don't think they're going to let him work seven and eight like they normally do. And uh, you know we know how bad the Mets bullpen is. And how, how it's been managed, too. It's Oh, it's been rough times, I know. Uh, I feel like Syndergaard on the raw talent, I, I would presumably start him, but I, I think you're on to something here that it's it's a little scary. The Braves, that offense, little scary. Uh, just a little heads-up note, finally, uh, before we get to your questions, that on Monday, be aware for those in weekly leagues, there is an early game because of Canada Day. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are finishing up their series against the Royals that day with a 1.07 p.m. Eastern start time. So just be aware of it as we head into Monday. We'll have uh, Monday's show getting you all set up, but just get the lineup Please set in Canada. advance. Please yeah. Canada! <laughs> we had the Canadian National Anthem on this, song, or on this podcast like a week ago. Eric was not thrilled. Yeah, I wonder why he's off taking a little rest time. Uh, Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to come back, recharge, and fighting on uh, Monday, Kyle. Can't All right, well, wait. if we're getting into the the fun and silly stuff, you know what? We gotta we gotta get some music going. Let's get to the questions. You can't wait for Monday, huh? I I actually like Mondays. I mean i I don't do well with free time, and weekends are free time, so I like the structure of a week. But yeah, Monday too to fight Eric on Canada. Nothing wrong with that. So the week for you insert your, insert your Boomtown Rats reference here. So so the week begins for you on Monday. I know we have this calendar thing, especially on my little iCal. I, it's like, do you start your week on Sunday or do you start on a Monday? My weeks don't stop, but I would generally say a Monday is the beginning of a week, just because that's how it was growing up. Okay. We've helped a lot of people. With oh, yeah, that's huge. <laughs> Big time. Calendar companies are going to be sponsoring this podcast next year, so stay tuned for yes. that. And now we'll talk about the Tyler Chatwood segment. Yeah, he's going to be pitching again, so we can get into that, but uh, well, we could save that if he pitches between now and Monday. Kind of that's, a fluid situation. I, I do believe he does. If I He's check. projected, but you know. they've they I thought they announced it's a six-man rotation. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Okay, so now that we know what... Uh, Monday's podcast. Let's help people get to Monday. Ben wants to know if you have any concerns over Luis Castillo. 17 walks over 21.2 June innings. Hmm. Do I have concerns? I, a little bit. I don't like when I see the control numbers decline in the way that they did. The other thing that bugs me, and I, I just published the uh, July, only July, the July look-ahead forecaster using the ratings, and even though we don't have the projected rotations for that month, I can kind of bundle up all of the hitting matchups uh, and kind of project it ahead for pitchers. Uh, so in Castillo's case, the Reds, they have one of the 10 worst schedules in the month that's ahead. So it's a little alarming from that aspect. Anything else I think is overreading? Yeah, although I will point out that uh, he is way, way wild when there's no one on base. Uh, he's been averaging 5.98 walks per nine uh, with no one on base compared to 3.46 with men on base, which is more in line with his career numbers. 
uh, I think there there might be a focus issue here with him. And uh, again, when I think it's a head case thing, that uh, that really does concern me. Alrighty, Caleb wants your thoughts on Scooter Jeanette the rest of the way. Would you move on from a guy like Lorenzo Kane in favor of Jeanette in redraft leagues? So Jeanette, in terms of the update, uh, my understanding is he could return this weekend. He's on his rehab assignment in AAA. I haven't been checking what the numbers are on the rehab stint, but it was a, a lengthy absence. I, I, I'm worried about the playing time. Where exactly is he going to fit in? I mean, Derek Dietrich has... has stepped up as a pretty useful guy to throw into the lineup against righties at times, so I don't see Jeanette playing every single day. That's bothersome. I, I feel like I can't cut Kane. I, I get with the, the poor start to the season where you might be thinking this way. I, I think that's... I think it's a foolish move. I would co-sign on that. I think we just... Until you see him, you don't know, and it's it's not something I'm willing to stake my second half of the year on just yet. Easy enough. Michael wants to know, without a timeline on Pablo Lopez, if you're cutting ties in the standard shallow ESPN league. I, I've almost... Well, it wasn't the standard shallow one. This is the, the office league, which... Geez, I think it's 14 teams this year, and it's six bench with no no IL spots. So it's a little bit larger. It's effectively like ours with the 3-1, and one, except with two extra spots. And I've been thinking about cutting Pablo Lopez there just because I, I, I've got so many guys on the injured list. I mean, generally, my, my bench, the six spots, are just guys on the injured list. Uh, I did not hear any update on him. I heard they expected it to be somewhat short of a stint, but they need to keep his innings in check, so they have no reason to rush him. And I've seen nothing since the MRI results came in, which just show the strain. So I feel like it's probably a month, and if you need to move on, I'm okay with that. Yeah, especially when we're talking about someone who this is his second shoulder strain in in two years. And so uh, they're going to be very extra cautious. And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of other options. So there's no reason to uh, to rush him back. I I think uh, if you need to cut, if you don't have the IL spot, then send them packing. All righty. Joe Keem comes in with more of a strategic question than anything. He wants to know if you're looking for players to acquire in the second half, what percentage do you put into their first half versus their previous resume coming into the season? Mm-hmm. Good strategic question. Uh, I, I would say that when I'm building a quick basic projections system, I take three years and I weight the most recent one roughly 50% of that. So I would probably look to the first half to be nearly 50% of my weight, but this is not cut and dry for everybody. And when I say I do a rough projection, I go in there and then I manually make some tweaks to each and every one and I pull in things like you know as I mentioned with Eric the other day the minor league equivalencies for guys who hadn't been in the majors the whole time I account for whether a player's injury had an issue with his performance so don't just say oh okay well that means Tommy Lastella's first half is worth 50% Tommy Lastella could be uh goodness who might forget uh Yonder Alonso he could be where he regresses to the point he's still useful but he's not the star he was in that first half yeah, I think it's it's a process. Uh, you know, if you if you like the projection of a player at the beginning of the year when you're drafting, and you know you're fully confident that whatever method you use to generate that projection for the full year is right, uh, you can't just throw it out completely uh, now and say that uh, well, you know, I, I projected him for 20 home runs and he's got only two, so he's going to get 18 the second half. You can't do that, but you can't necessarily uh, discount the fact that he'll get. 
the, the second half in terms of, you know, uh, matching that half-season output. I, I think it's a balancing act. Uh, and you don't just say, well, you know, Jose Ramirez, uh, I can't possibly expect him to bat anything more than 210 because he's sunk up the joint in the first half. But, you know, you also shouldn't necessarily say, well, Josh Donaldson's going to hit 50. You know, it, it, you have to balance those things, and you learn over time uh, where that line is. We're tearing through the hash browns like we've got a flight to London to catch. Hey, how about that? Well, we got yeah. one last one here. Drew wants to wants you to update your Cy Young MVP and World Series winners based on what we've seen in the first half of this season. Oh goodness! I saw this. I saw that this had been asked. I think late last night, and you know, I I, <laughs> I realized I should have looked it up. You were just time. really hoping I wouldn't pick it. No, I I I. That's one of those ones where I see it and I think, oh, I got to look that up, and then the morning comes and something else comes up, and I don't think about it. I'm Cody Bellinger. <laughs> Cody Bellinger. I mean, it's Cody Bellinger or Christian Yelich. Uh, what else can I say? Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bail you out, Tristan, and, and, and throw some answers here uh, if you want to. You know, go for it. Think about it a little bit more, but I would definitely, I, I would go with Yelich uh, right now. Uh, I would go with uh, Ryu as my Cy Young winner yep. in the NL right now. Uh, for the AL, I, I think just based on the buzz and, and you know we've been talking about it so much, I think you got to give Lucas Giolito the nod here. And uh, for AL MVP, uh, Mr. DJ LeMahieu. I mean, he's the Yankees. Oh, should not you're first not. Place right now. Oh, you're not on the LeMahieu bandwagon, are you? It, it, it's not necessarily best player. It's who. Why are they in first place right now? It's because of LeMahieu, because everybody else has been injured. Uh, <laughs> it, voters for the MVP are not necessarily picking the best player. They're picking the one that's the, you know, got the buzz, and, and I'm supporting that. In terms of World Series winger, I'm going to go Dodgers over Twins right now. But, you know, things can change. Oh, man. I, I can't even begin to make the list. I see your point on LeMahieu. I've heard this argument made. I... He's not an MVP. I hate voting for MVP this way. It's Mike Trout. It's Mike Trout. Best player? It's not fantasy. It's not necessarily, you know, fantasy MVP because we don't award that. That's not a real thing. These are actual tangible awards. I think he's got the best shot right now. If they voted today, he would win. It's a, I, I, just, I can't do it. I, I wouldn't vote for him. I just wouldn't. I, I think it's the best player you know i just i do i think it's the best player i don't you know i'd i'd, I'd vote for alex bregman before i'd bat, vote for dj lemayhew i would there have been injuries around him in houston and speaking of which my world series much as it's lame to go back to a world series we already saw recently i'm going to astros over dodgers it's right not now. lame if it's right it's astros over dodgers the astros and the dodgers have if healthy amazing teams yeah, with that pitching staff, I just I just don't see anyone beating the Dodgers in a series right now. Obviously, things can change with injuries, but yeah, I just, the yeah seven game series. You're not you're, the, the you're team not balance. It's the team balance for both. It's really hard to go against yeah. those teams. I, I I love what the Yankees are doing lately, though. I've created silence. Nobody loves my Yankees. Oh, how painful. Oh, oh I, I name a Yankee for MVP, and and and, and you're yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> You got to sign off on all of the Yankees are awesome. There's no problems here. James Paxton isn't in any sort of slump. No, Jay Happ isn't giving up too many homers. No, it's not happening. No. Paxton's got the Canadian thing going for him. Ah, yes, good Canada Day theme there. There you go. All right, so that wraps it for the hash browns, correct? 
We're good. All right, a couple notes to here. We uh, should bring up uh, Bob Lee. Uh, his was an, uh, has been an extraordinary legacy of 40 years with ESPN, and we congratulate him on his retirement. The other is congratulations to oh, one of our own family here, Field Yates, on his recent wedding. And Kyle, I gotta ask. I, I hear, I hear filthy rumors here that we might have some some information on this and a podcast. We did a fantasy focus football podcast yesterday. It's available right now. You know, it's like 20 minutes of good football talk and like 45 on Yates' wedding festivities and shenanigans. It was a good listen. They had a great time. There's no two ways about that. And I, if you guys can imagine how much fun they have in the studio, put in a wedding setting, you know. I love it. Yeah, I'm, it was I'm, good. I'm looking, yes, I'm looking forward to that and you should too. So everybody download that one. The football podcast will be coming back to regular play at, at a time pretty soon. Kyle, I know probably no notes on that yet, right? Yeah, it'll be early August. We got, you know, a few announcements to make early next week. So we'll, uh, we'll take care of that then. But early August will be five days a week and carrying you through the winter. Great. Look forward to those. I don't know how I feel about teenagers getting married. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. There's no jokes like that on that podcast. Zip not, zero. Not a one. No, no. But I'm 25, by the way. Just not not a teenager here. I've, I'm being realistic. All right. Yeah. Just be very clear. All right. That will do it for today's show. Thank you, AJ, of course, for stepping in for Eric this week. And uh, I, I'll point out, I think you're going to join us again on Monday. Stepping in for me, I'll be away next week. So, thanks in advance, AJ. Ah, well, it is my pleasure. Thank you for uh, tolerating me, and I will be sure to get his, uh, my, my, my Canadian singing uh, voice ready for, for Monday. Perfect. <laughs> yes, we do need a singer on the show. Yes. Thanks, of course, to Kyle doing all the hard work there behind the glass or in front of the glass or running around the studio or whatever the heck you're doing. What are you doing right now? All the above. Yeah. You know, we're cooking dinner, too, so, you know, keep... Keep an eye out for the cooking channel. Yeah, keep it busy. All right, well, that's our show for today. Everybody have a great week and enjoy those games in London. I know I will, and we will see you here again Monday. Everything is awesome. Darkness.